0: Hi everyone, it's Tiffany in Rome. A few years back, Katie and I went on a walk through the city in the footsteps of Caravaggio. We share a love for this fascinating artist whose life was a combination of the violent and the divine, just as his art was a combination of light and dark. He spent about 15 tumultuous years in Rome, and during that time he created his greatest work and got into a lot of trouble. So come along with us as we trace his steps across the city from the church where he had his first major commission to the alley where he took part in a fatal duel. This is part two of our Caravaggio series, so if you missed last week's episode, back up and listen to that one first. And if you love the show, remember to rate it on iTunes, share it on your social media sites, and recommend it to a friend. We can't tell you how much it helps us to keep this show going. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks.
0: (laughs) Kind of about you knew that He was a favorite artist, one of the favorite artists of Scipione Borghese and his uncle, the Pope. And so, you know, he kind of thought, maybe this guy, just because he wants my work, will keep me alive, will find a way to keep me alive. And in the end, he did. In the end, he got a pardon, but he died on his way back to Rome.
1: And let's talk about that somewhere else where these cars aren't coming into this parking garage. Okay,
0: sounds good. Yes.
1: There's a mask going on. It actually kind
0: of adds to it. I think so. We are now in Sant'Agostino Church, and we're going to have to speak really quietly because there's actually a mass going on in church. You might be able to hear it in the background. But Sant'Agostino is a, a church not far from Piazza Navona with one of Caravaggio's most amazing paintings in it that you can see
1: anytime you want for free. And I should mention that nobody seems to come here, so... Look it up. There's another church that has this stuff in it that everyone goes to. But here, you can often find yourself standing alone in front of it. Yeah, we are almost the only people here. There's a
0: couple people every so often coming in to take a look. But um, the painting is called, official. the official name of the painting is the Madonna of Loreto. But it's often called the Pilgrim's Madonna or the Madonna of the Pilgrims. And you should look it up. Uh, if you have computer, a- you know, internet access, obviously you do. If you're listening to us, it's a painting of, according to a lot of scholars, Caravaggio's mistress and the woman that he may have actually even loved. And her name was Lena Antonietti. And some people say she was a courtesan. Some people say that she was just a sort of loose woman. Who knows? But Caravaggio painted her in several different paintings. And this one was probably the most... One of the most, I think, uh, shocking. In fact, it wasn't supposed to be here. It was supposed to be in St. Peter's Basilica. But it was rejected. It was rejected because... For a number of reasons. First of all, because he used this woman who was maybe known as a prostitute or maybe she was just known to be his mistress. I don't know. As the the image of, of the Madonna. Also because she looks like a roman housewife she doesn't really look like you know what you would imagine in that time particularly in the counter reformation when you know th- these saints in you know these incredibly resplendent situations floating on clouds and things like this and and michelangelo painted her standing on her doorstep with her legs. michelangelo I, was, I always say michelangelo cuz that's his first name and i think of him as michelangelo <laughs> Caravaggio um, painted her standing on her doorstep with her legs crossed and balancing her, either her son or, obviously, it's supposed to be Jesus, <laughs> but in reality, it was probably her own son or her nephew on her hip and big, very, very big baby. And she's looking down with an incredible amount of compassion to two beggar people who have come to see the Madonna, you know, and the feet of these beggars are pointing straight out towards the viewer, down at the bottom of the painting where if a priest were standing there, you know, he would have the feet of a beggar in his face. And often the reason that these side chapels existed was because they were they were financed by a wealthy family who would pay for all the decoration of this small chapel, this small side chapel, in order that when they died, Masses for their soul would be said at that chapel for, you know, perpetuity or whatever. And so this is a side, you know, mini side chapel. We're not at the high altar of the, of the church. But there is a, an altar here. And so it's likely that a priest might have given a Mass here and he has this dirty feet of this beggar sticking right out into his face. Were there any other reasons that this was controversial?
1: Yes, there there was. It was also, from what I remember, the time period that it was created in. It was a time when a lot of pilgrims were coming to Rome, journeying for a long way, a lot of very poor people flowing into the city to go to St. Peter's. And they were kind of overrunning the city a little bit because they had no money. They would come here and sort of camp out and not have jobs and they would get in fights and there was drunkenness and and all the things that come from a very large poor population there wasn't enough food there was a lot of fighting over just getting enough to eat with these people who were visiting town and so they ended up making a rule that you could come to Rome as a pilgrim if you wanted to but if you were not employed within 10 days of arriving you had to leave just keep moving these people out And so at the time, particularly people who were well off, (laughs) were kind of overrun by these beggar-type people who didn't have enough food, probably partly because of these people who were really well off. (laughs) There was a lot of famine going on in the city with people just not being able to make it, and so they wouldn't have felt kindly toward people like this. And so in a way, having people like this depicted with Mary smiling down on them even though that was what the Christian church should be preaching, it wasn't necessarily how a lot of families felt at that time and a lot of residents of Rome felt at that time toward people like this. That's a good point.
0: I had completely forgotten about that. Now, as far as the actual, beyond the, the, the sort of specifics of the painting and the characters, what is it about Caravaggio for you that, besides all of this great backstory and the fascinating intrigue of it, But as far as his actual painting technique, what is it for you that really made you fall in love with his work?
1: It's because he's so different. (laughs) It's partly because he uses a lot of black. He uses a lot of really, really dark shadows in his paintings. His people are very concrete. A lot of paintings that are done around the same period of time, they seem ethereal, like they're almost floating above the space, even though they're standing on the ground or they look like they're frozen in time. His people look like they could move at any moment, that you're just glimpsing a moment. Also, I think they stand out because they look like photographs. They do. If you look at the baby's head, baby Jesus's
0: head, where the light is shining on his light red hair,
1: it looks like a photograph of a baby's head. It just looks so real. Yeah, and you just don't see that. Nobody else does that realism. Nobody else did that at that period. It's not just that you're seeing a master artist painting people that look realistic. You're seeing a person who was somehow able to capture what real life was like in a story that was biblically set.
0: Yeah, or at the very least in how people looked in in the late 1500s, almost as if we had a
1: photograph of it. Yes. And I think if he was a photographer, he would be an amazing one even today. I mean he really knew light and light sources and he uses light more than almost anybody. There were other people who copied him but he still did it better than almost anybody.
0: Yes, his famous technique was the chiaroscuro technique, the light dark, because as much as he uses the dark backgrounds he also uses this incredibly strong light source which as I mentioned earlier he would sometimes use from a physical light that he would have shining into his studio. You can always feel where the light source is coming from when you're looking at, at a painting. And um, the, the white skin of Mary or the white towel that she's using to hold Jesus is, is such a contrast with the almost black background that that is very striking. Well,
1: and another interesting thing too is that if he knew where the painting was going to be placed, he would often paint the light source so that if there was a window near it, it would look like the light was coming from that window. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, this painting wasn't meant to be here, so that's not the case in, in this
0: situation. There's another detail in this painting that I love. I don't know if I noticed it before I read A Name in Blood, but if you look, and I hope you guys are all looking at the painting right now, or will be soon, <laughs> but if you look at the right to the right of the door frame, there is some plaster on the wall that has broken off, and you can see the bricks underneath. This is a common thing that you can still see in Rome today all over the place, but I can imagine as well back in the late 1500s, or early 1600s. And Matt Reese, in his book A Name in Blood, he of course is using his uh, creative license a little bit, but he is in the head of Caravaggio. It's, I believe it's first person, or, or, or very, very close third person. And he says that Michelangelo, I keep saying that, that Caravaggio is walking down the street and he sees, first of all, he sees Lena, Maddalena was her full name, standing on the stoop of her house with her nephew. According to him, it was her nephew. And that this piece of the plaster is falling off of the, of the wall and he's completely moved by it, by not only her and her facial expression, but also by this, this detail that's just so real it's something that is so pedestrian, a piece of broken plaster off of a building that he included it here. I don't know if that actually happened, but I love the thought that maybe it did.
1: Mm-hmm. The only other thing I can say about him is that, yes, his story is something that kind of keeps you driving toward trying to figure out more about him, I think, but it's the, the work of art. One thing I've really learned about living in Rome for a year and being an expat here is that you're surrounded by so much art And there are only a few people that when you walk by, you take three steps back and look at their painting and think, whoa, because you're inundated with art and all these people are more talented than I will ever be as a painter. They can actually paint the human form. Anybody who painted any side chapel in this whole church is a master in my mind. But there are people like Caravaggio or even Raphael, I guess in some cases, I think Caravaggio is better. You just look at them and you go, wow. That person had something. They are so far above the people who were their contemporaries that they're, even today, I would say, he's so far above even stuff that's being produced now. Absolutely. They have something, and that's what you're attracted to. The way that whatever he had was incredibly special. It helps me overlook the fact that he murdered somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And that he also might have been a child molester. Yes, that's a whole other detail that perhaps we should allow you to read about on (laughs) your own. I want to talk a little, tiny bit more, but let's maybe go outside. Yes, we will no longer disturb this mass. Although we're not disturbing it, they don't know we're here.
0: We are now sitting in front of a church called San Luigi dei Francesi, which is the French National Church of Rome. It's just about two blocks from where we were at Sant'Agostino. And not only are there three amazing paintings inside this church, which we're not going to talk about right now, but you should definitely... um, you definitely check out if you uh, if you are in the city paintings by caravaggio sorry three paintings by caravaggio if you didn't
1: assume
0: <laughs> based on the theme of this podcast there are three other amazing ones also f- completely free right in the in like direct vicinity of this church are also two important palaces that now belong to the, the Italian state but were originally in private hands and one is Palazzo Giustiniani and the other is Palazzo Madama and both of these palaces, Caravaggio called home at some point in his career because he had some important patrons and he lived with, they were their palaces and he lived with them and was working for them at that time. So just a few more stops on the footsteps of Caravaggio tour. But what I really wanted to sort of end with, unless you have something to add further, was one of the things that I respect most about Caravaggio is that he was so true to himself. The late 1500s and even the early 1600s, the Counter-Reformation period in Rome, was a very dangerous time to be in a city. And you know, you could be executed for something as little as I mentioned, as not going to church. And Caravaggio's art was not always appreciated by the church, as we've mentioned, because of certain things that he did. And it devastated him when his work was rejected. It wasn't like whatever, I'll sell it to someone else. It was very important at that time to be not just Painting and getting paid for your work, but also having your work displayed in important places. And having a painting in St. Peter's Basilica was a huge deal for him. And the fact that he was rejected from that, was it must have been a terrible blow for him, especially because he put so much into his work. He didn't churn his paintings out like some artists. He worked for months and months and months, and he worked very intensely. He would basically go between periods of great activity and then complete laziness depression maybe depression probably he had a contemporary named Anibale Karachi, who we actually saw one of his paintings this morning we were on a little tour of our own and these two artists they both were painting with the realism style which probably Caravaggio really invented but Karachi um, maybe was right in there right after something I don't know but Karachi ended up selling out he was very good too I don't think he was a genius I don't think he was as much of a genius as Caravaggio. I mean, he is also one of the greatest artists of his generation. So he was very popular with important patrons, cardinals, the Pope, etc. He went by the textbook of the day. He painted angels on clouds, and he painted the Madonna floating up to heaven on wings. And he did all the stuff that they wanted. And Caravaggio couldn't. He couldn't do it. He couldn't force himself to do it. And in fact, when he was asked to paint the Madonna of Loreto, which if you know the story of the legend, it's about the church that Mary lived in, in the Holy Land, angels picking it up and taking it to Loreto, Italy, and dropping it down. And if you look at Caracci's version of that, Mary's sitting on top of the house and angels are holding it up. And Caravaggio's like, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. And he painted this very simple, very earthly Mary standing on her porch looking at two pilgrims who'd come to see her and the Christ child. And he didn't get thanked for it. He got his work rejected for it. And it happened again and again. But he couldn't, he, he wouldn't sell out. And he literally, I don't think, couldn't go against his
1: artistry. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, probably he, my favorite thing about him. He didn't want to do magical thinking works of art. And that was what was in demand from the church at that point. Mm-hmm. He had his vision. He couldn't go against it. Yeah. I like that too. (laughs) I like a lot of things about him, you know, with the exception of some of his personal details. Should we mention anything about what happened to him as far as how he died? Should I well, kill this child? That's us?
0: Yeah, you should.
1: Um, <laughs> no, I <laughs> was a kid running up and down the ramp behind us. But anyway, um, I would never kill a child. That's something that Caravaggio might have done. No, I'm just kidding. He might have slept with a child. <laughs> okay, let's not <laughs> cut, all that. cut all that. All right. Um, so, no. Should we talk about Should we talk about his death at all before we, or should we make everyone research it?
0: Um... I recommend definitely to read. You know, it depends on your interest level. If you're if you're just mildly interested, read *A Name in, in Blood* because it's, it's it's a novel. If you're fascinated by Caravaggio like us, you should really read Peter Robb's book. But I mean, I don't think it's any any shocker that he died young. He died at 39, on a beach in Tuscany, desperately trying to get back to Rome. He wouldn't have even been in Tuscany except that the boat that he was on kept all of his paintings he had like several paintings with him that he had done while he was on the run and he got off the boat and for some reason I don't know there was a problem with customs and he couldn't get his stuff and so he was basically chasing after not literally but he was basically trying to get up to the next port of where the boat was going so he could get his stuff and get back to Rome and he died of some say yellow fever some say yellow fever some say malaria some people think you know Matt Reese thinks he was I don't want to end the, ruin the end of the book for you but you know he thinks it was foul play he thinks it was murdered Peter
1: Robb also said it was a
0: big possibility so we don't really know we'll never know I don't think we will I don't believe that his bones were ever discovered or his remains were ever discovered I think recently like some I read some article saying oh they found Cadaver's bones but you know uh, I don't know how they can know Either way it was a bad ending a
1: desperate ending
0: yeah, it was, it was a loss for, for us, a loss for art history.
1: Indeed. And this is a loss for you because the podcast is now over. <laughs> for the day, anyway. And check out Caravaggio. If you don't know his work yet,
0: you're in for a treat. You want to spell his name? C-A-R-A-V-A-G-G-I-O. If you live in New York or... Detroit. Or Fort Worth, Texas. Or New Haven, Connecticut... I believe so, yes. Or, I'm not sure, I feel like there's something in Washington, D.C. Yeah? Was- I, think I don't think Washington, D.C. No? Okay. I'll have to I'll have to look that up. But at least if you live in any of those areas, you can find
1: a Caravaggio near you. You do. And go find it. For goodness sake, it's on our list to see. We haven't seen it yet, so go. Tell us how it is. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're going to Rome and you want to take this tour or one of the many other historical tours that Tiffany has to offer, you can find more information at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, or at her blog, thepinesofrome.blogspot.com. Sign up for a tour, I can't recommend them highly enough. And consider a donation to be able to keep this podcast going and knowing that we have your support. There's a donate button at thebittersweetlife.net, and we appreciate it if you click on it and give us what you can. All gifts means so much to us.